This, this morning, uh, I want to start by saying that I really like stories. I don't know about you, but I really like stories, especially those that, that teach us some things. And it's stories with a good point, with a good punchline. And I think stories are a great way to learn, a great way to understand different concepts and, and truths. And Jesus used stories so effectively in his, in his own teaching ministry, isn't it? Stories that we still talk about today. But unfortunately for you this morning, I'm not good at telling stories. I'm really bad, just can't, can't do it. Uh, recently, I was, I was talking to, to Pastor Phil, who, who's not here today, but I was asking him for advice. What, what do I do? How do I get better at telling stories? Where do I get good stories that, that, will, that will teach something? And um, Pastor Phil gave me absolutely brilliant advice. I mean, if you need any life advice, go to Pastor Phil. I can just see really, really good advice. It's absolutely brilliant. He said this, there's something better than stories, something that everyone loves, and that's statistics. He said, everyone loves statistics. I might be paraphrasing him a little bit, but I, I know everyone just loves statistics. So instead of telling you a story, I'm going to tell you some statistics. I'm, I like numbers. I, I know you do too, so we're going to start with some statistics. And Actually, we're going to be looking at a very important topic today. It's not statistics, but we're going to be looking at an important topic. But I'm not going to tell you what the topic is. Instead, I'm going to tell you some statistics, and you try to figure out what topic we are talking about today. So let's, let's look at these. About 14% people worldwide don't have this, this important thing officially. About 60% of young people in the UK have to hide it from their peers, and 72% lost sleep because of their worries about it. About 25% of people in the UK change this thing after becoming a parent, and 18% after marriage. And finally, this is not a statistic, but I thought it was very interesting, there are studies done to show that based on this thing, we can accurately predict your fruit and vegetable intake. Now, some of you might have already figured out what the topic is, but if not, don't worry. We're going to read a passage from the Bible. We are currently going through a series from First Peter, so there's a letter that, that Peter wrote. We're going to read a passage. This is from First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 12, and as we read it, Peter actually talks about this, this topic. So try to figure out, based on the statistics, based on this passage, what is it that we're going to be focusing on today? What is this important topic that Peter wants to talk to us about? So this is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 12. It says, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God. You yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe. But for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone 
and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word. They were destined for this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourself honorably among the Gentiles, so when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Amen. So, what, what are we talking about today? The major theme that Peter is focusing on in this passage is identity. Anyone managed to figure it out? It's about identity. Anyone? Well, you should be paying more attention then. No. <laughs> Talks about identity. This whole, this whole passage His major focus is on identity. All the statistics that we looked at there were about the importance and struggles that people have with their identity and how they perceive their identity. And what is identity? Identity is is our understanding and feeling of of who we are. It's it's what makes us us. It's, It's when it's... So when we look at ourselves, what, who do we see? What do we see? That's, that's our identity. And our identity can have a massive impact on our choices, our attitudes, our decisions, and our actions. Who we see to ourselves to be has a massive impact on those things. For example, if you're in English, you automatically dislike the French, isn't it? I, I, I only became British about a year ago, and previously I used to dislike the Germans, but it's slowly growing on me. I, I think, think the French people are not, not very nice. I see myself more as a, as, as a British person. Obviously, there was a, there was a little joke, but uh, maybe. But our identity can have impact on our attitudes and our, and our actions and our choices, isn't it? How we look at ourselves affects the way we think, the way we do, do things, how we interact with other people. And even in the Western society today, there's an increasing focus on identity, about national identity, racial identity, and all sorts of other identities, because they rightly recognize that identity is very important to, to a person. Now, the problem they have, however, as a Western society, is that they are trying to figure out this identity thing without God. And we know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of wisdom and knowledge. And so, so we turn to God to help us understand this, this important topic. We turn to his word to, to tell us how we should think about identity in the right way. And when we do, I find that it's very interesting, actually. In this passage, Peter starts by first talking about the identity of Jesus, and only then about our own identity. And this first point is absolutely crucial. We cannot know our true identity 
unless we first know who Jesus is. Our identity depends on Jesus' identity. And Peter knows this really well because he learned it from Jesus himself. Uh, we, we can see in Matthew's gospel that, that he records that one day near Caesarea Philippi, Jesus asked this question. He asked, who do you say that I am? This was Jesus' question. Who do you say that I am? And this wasn't a question just for Peter. This is one of the most important questions that we all have to answer in this life. Who do you say that Jesus is? What is his true identity? Is he really the Son of God? Is he really the Savior of the world? Is he really the King that will rule forever? Who do you say that I am, asks Jesus. And it's, it's interesting the way that Jesus phrased that question. He didn't say, who do you think that I am? He says, who do you say that I am? This is not just an intellectual exercise, some bits of trivia, how tall was Jesus? It's not a pub quiz. No, this is, this is about our response to who, to who Jesus is. Understanding his identity and responding to it. Who do you say that I am? How do you respond to understanding who Jesus is? It's about how we respond to the fact that Jesus loves me and laid his life down for me and wants to live with me for eternity. And our response to who Jesus is will shape our own identity. Again, we can see that in this story of Peter interacting with Jesus, that after Jesus asked the question and Peter responded correctly, based on this response, Jesus then revealed to Peter his true identity. For example, Peter was actually called Simon, but Jesus gave him a new name, Peter, which means rock, to indicate how, how foundational he will be to the advancement of the church. And he told him many other things about his own identity based on his response to, to who Jesus was. And can read more about Peter later, but my point is that as we, as we respond to who Jesus is, we will know who we are more. We will understand ourselves more as we, as we respond to Jesus. And... Um, it's, it's interesting that in this passage that, that we read, the, the one identity that Peter focuses on was actually Jesus being the living stone. And not just any stone, he says that Jesus is the cornerstone. That's the identity that Peter wants us to think about in this, in this passage. Now, what does, that, what does that mean, that Jesus is the cornerstone? That means that only Jesus... Is the, can be the foundation to eternal life. Many people build beautiful, even magnificent lives, but they build them on sand. And so all of their accomplishments will only be temporary. But Jesus is the cornerstone. If we build our lives on him, then, then our actions, our efforts will have eternal significance. We will have eternal life, that the life that we live will have eternal meaning and significance. And in, in chapter one of, of this letter that we've been looking, looking through over the past few weeks, 
Peter explained that this is only possible because of the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross on our behalf and because of his resurrection from the dead. He can be this, this eternal cornerstone because of his work on the cross and his resurrection. And Jesus, when Jesus rose from the dead, he wasn't just resuscitated back to his, to his old body. No, his resurrection, in his resurrection, he completely overcame death and opened the way to eternal life for, for all of us. So he can be the cornerstone to, to our own eternal life. And, and when, he, when he rose from the dead, there were hundreds of eyewitnesses who saw Jesus in his resurrected body. And... And Peter was, was one of those eyewitnesses, and he's writing, he's telling us about it. And maybe what he's trying to tell us, that, that Jesus is reliable. As the cornerstone, he is reliable. We can trust him. He wasn't just a man who said a few nice things, and that's it, and we have to blindly trust those things that he said. No, he showed through his action who he really was. He showed in his, in his death and resurrection, that he truly is the Savior of the world, and we can trust him, not blindly, but our faith can be secure. And as, as Peter said, now we can have a living hope, a hope that does not disappoint. It's not just wishful thinking, but something that is secure, that he is our rock, something that we can be sure about. Jesus is our cornerstone. But unfortunately, there will be people who will not want to respond to Jesus positively. And for them, Jesus will be a different kind of stone. He will be a stumbling stone, Peter says. Those people will not be able to reach their destiny without Jesus. It's not possible. It is important to understand that Jesus is our only hope. That only through Jesus we can, we can reach our eternal destiny. This is what Jesus says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Our only hope is Jesus. But the good news is that no one has to be in that second category. Because Jesus invites everyone to, to, to respond to him. No one has to be in that category. Everyone can, can receive his, his eternal life. Jesus is truly the, the Savior of the world. He invites everyone to come to him, to, res to respond to him positively. And I want to encourage you, if, if you're here this morning, you have not yet put your trust in Jesus as your cornerstone, as your foundation of your life, to, today is a great day to do it. Today is such a good day to put your trust in Jesus. But... As we understand the identity of Jesus, we can now start to talk about our own identity, who, who we are. And it, did anyone notice how many identity statements Peter made about our own identity in this passage? Again, I, I like numbers, can't help it, I'm sorry. I just count things automatically. I count it because there's Different ways how you can count, but I counted about 13 identity statements that Peter makes about us in, in these few verses. Just 13 different things about our identity in these few verses. But 
Interestingly, most of these statements are not something new. They are references from the Old Testament. And I found that quite interesting because Peter spends so much time around Jesus. You would think that he could tell us something new, not just quote what, what was said hundreds or thousands of years before, isn't it? But he decides mostly just to, just to reference what God has previously said about our identity. And so maybe the, thing, the important thing about identity is to understand that, that uh, God has had a plan for us from the beginning, and that has not changed. God had a plan for us for, as individuals and as humanity from the beginning, and that has not changed. He designed the whole world, the whole universe, in such a way as to benefit us, as to help us reach our destiny, because we are his special creation. We are created in his own image. He's got a special plan for us, and that has not changed. And so when Jesus came, he didn't come to, to change or add to God's plan. No, he, he came to enable this, uh, this plan and purposes of God that were for us. A very famous verse, in Christ, all the promises of God are yes and amen. Peter is reminding us here that all the things that God spoke about regarding our identity can now become reality because of what Jesus has done. Now the plans of God can come to, to fruition in our life because of what Jesus has accomplished. So that's a, that's, a great, that's a great thing. So maybe that's why Peter's quoting it. But let's talk about our identity. One of the most important aspects of our identity is how God relates to us. Does anyone know this verse, John 15, verse 9? John 15, verse 9. There's loads and loads of great verses in the Bible, but this is one well worth remembering. John 15, verse 9. There, Jesus tells us that in the same way that God the Father loved him, he now loves us. In the same way God the Father loved him, he loves us. The same kind of love that is within this eternal, perfect being is now directed toward us. And the same intensity, the same depth of love that is within the Godhead is now, is now directed at us. We are now part of that loving relationship. And Jesus is telling us that we need to remain in that love, that this is very important. It means that we need to make this, this, this love part of our identity, this to be central to who we are. This is the same way that God loves God. He now loves us. The same passion that he has, that the Father has for his Son, he now now directs towards us. And sometimes when I'm I'm talking to God, I, I say something like this. I say, here I am, God. I'm your favorite, your favorite person. And it might sound a bit funny, even even prideful, but Actually, to say this and really mean it, to look at yourself with all your imperfections, all your failures, to look deep at yourself, and again, God is well aware of of all those things that we think and say and do, 
and say, God, I'm, I'm your favorite person. You love me the same way that you, you love Jesus. That, that, takes, that takes a lot of humility, actually. It takes a lot of seriousness to, to, to do that. It's, it's no joke to, to say that seriously, to make that, to really reflect on your own identity and see yourself as the one that, that God really loves, that God enjoys, that God wants to be around, that God is delighted that, that you're part of his family. Here I am, God, your favorite person, the one that you, you enjoy being, that you with, that you like. And it's important to make this love central part of our identity. It's one of the most important aspects of our identity, as people who are deeply loved by their God. And Apostle John, he understood this really well. Again, it's, it's almost funny when you, when you read it, because in his gospel, John just would not refer to himself by his name. You could just say John. But five times, he refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. That was central part of who he was. That was his identity. That's how he looked at himself. He was John, but when he looked at himself, he saw himself as the one that Jesus loved. That was the thing that defined him as a person. And we often need to be reminded of our identity. And so you might find it helpful to declare this truth. And you don't have to say you're God's favorite person. We find it helpful to declare in some, in some form this, this truth of God's love over your life regularly. This, this should be essential to who you are. And uh, back, to, back to Peter. In, his, in this passage, it's interesting that his focus is not actually on our individual identity. When we read this passage, he wasn't actually talking about our individual identity, even though that's important. He talks about our group identity. That was his focus. All the statements were about our group identity together. And again, in our Western society, we've become quite individualistic. And even as Christians living in the Western society, we can easily overlook the, the importance of, of community and of us uh, as, as being shaped together by our group identity. But Peter is encouraging us in this passage to see ourselves as a part of something bigger. Not just ourselves individually, but we are now a part of something bigger. We're part of this, this group that he refers to in, in many different ways. We are now the holy nation, the royal priesthood. God's own chosen people. We are now part of this group, that, and we want to see that, see, see ourselves as part of that. And Peter says that just like Jesus is a living stone, we are now living stones, and God is using us together to build something of significance. Not just individually, but together God's shaping us together. That's very important here. And uh, I'm a married man, and one of the great things about marriage is not just the, the, the love that you have for one another, but it's, it's what you do together, what you build together, how you serve together. That's, that's one of the great things about marriage, and it's, of course, only possible because of that love. If, if, the love, if the love starts to disappear a bit, things start to break down a little bit, 
also I've heard anyway, not that, not that I've ever experienced that, but it's, it only works, <laughs> only works because there's love and that helps us to, to do things together. <laughs> this is not a confession here. <laughs> but of course, of course, we know from the scripture that marriage is just a picture of, of the church, isn't it? So because God loves us, because of that love, because he now makes us part of his family, he now invites us to be part of his work, to do things to, together with him, to do something of significance, to serve together with him. That is the, that is the great thing. Because of that love that, that God has for us and we for him, we now can do things together. That, that is the fun part. The, the love is great and important and foundational, but it leads us to, to something else. It now, it now leads us to do and partner with God. And in Ephesians 3, Paul prays this incredible prayer, one of my favorite prayers in the Bible in Ephesians 3. And just like Peter, Paul says that we are being built together into God's temple, into God's dwelling place. And he prays that we would together understand the dimensions of what God is doing, what God is building. We would have a vision of that. We would see how God is doing this in our community, that each one of us together would fulfill their part as we understand what God is doing among us and with us. And he says that when this happens, when we start to work together, we will be able to experience the fullness of God dwelling in our midst. That we, together we're being built into God's dwelling place, and then the fullness of God will, will dwell in our midst. And I want to experience God's, God, the fullness of God's love, fullness of God's power. But again, it's only possible. Not if I'm great as an individual, but if I join together with, with each one of you, if together as a group, we start to see together what God is doing in our community, in this city, and we become part of that work. Again, we have, when we together see ourselves as one, when we have that group identity of his chosen people. Again, so so how, how can we accomplish that fullness? It's, it's realizing that this is really important to have this group identity to, together. And we're important as individuals but now we've been called to be part of God's family. We are part of his community. We each have a role to play. Everyone is important. The young, the busy parents, the students, all the old, everyone is important. Everyone has a role to, to play. We are now being called as a group. And if we do that, that will, that will change the way we prioritize our goals in life, the, the, way, um, yeah, the way we prioritize our time in life, when we see ourselves as a group, as one. But uh, finally, Peter finishes by reminding us that our actions and conduct should be good and pure. And why does he say that? He says, because of who we are. And he finishes with how important our identity is. We don't have to act in a certain way to become God's people. No, because we are God's people, we act in a certain way. 
Because of our identity of who we are in Christ, we now act in a certain way. It's out of that identity that our actions, our words, our decisions, our attitudes flow. It's, it says, think, remember who you are and act accordingly. Remember who you are and then it will be natural for you to respond in, a, in, this, in this pure and good way. Remember who you are, Peter finishes with. So remind yourself often of, of what God says about you. Remind yourselves, who are you in Christ? What your identity is. I'm going to spend a few minutes just reflecting on this. Um, hopefully there's, there, there, are, there are a few things that, that you can reflect on. And uh, yeah, so just if you can close your, close your eyes. I'm going to just think firstly about, about Jesus again, about his identity and our, our response to him. As I mentioned earlier, it's so important that we, we respond to Jesus when we, when we understand that he is the cornerstone. We want to respond to him positively. We want to put our trust in him as the foundation of our eternal life. As I mentioned, today is a great day. If you have not responded to Jesus before, today is a great day to put your trust in him. And if you have responded to Jesus before, it's not a one-time thing. It's, it's, really, it's really important to continue to express our trust in him, to continue to respond to Jesus, telling him that we, we trust him, that he is our foundation. Again, we're just spending just a few minutes Responding to, to Jesus. Jesus, we do trust you. We, we thank you that, that you love us. And you invite us to be part of your, your eternal life. To live with you forever. And we, we trust you, Jesus. We, you are our cornerstone. We want to build our lives on you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are so reliable. You're so reliable that you make it easy for us to, to, to trust in you because you are so trustworthy. Help us to put our trust in you so we would not be moved. The circumstances would not move us because you are our solid rock on which we can stand. Put our trust in you, Jesus. We also talked about our individual identity, by seeing ourselves as those loved by God, deeply loved by God. So again, we're going to spend just, just a minute reflecting on that. God, I thank you for your love for me and for, for each one of us. The depth of your love, the the desire, the delight that you have from us, for us. Thank you for your love. We want, we want to know more about that love. We want to live more in that understanding of how much you love us. Thank you that your perfect love 
drives out all, all fear, all insecurities, all bondages. We pray that you saturate our lives with your love. We would have a deep understanding of how much you care about us. Your great kindness towards us. That you would even send your one and only son for us. Thank you for your love for us. Help us to, to live in that joy of being loved by you. And finally, we talked about our, our group identity. How do we see ourselves as, as part of, of something bigger? And Father, so we, we pray that, that you help us to understand that we're not running just individual race, that this is a team game, that we are all in this together that we are to love one another, we are to support one another, serve one another, that together we are, we are to advance your kingdom. Help us to, to see what you want to do with us together. The great thing that you want to do in our community as, as we all join in. Help us to, to see that about ourselves. Help us to, to relate better to, to one another. Thank you, Father, that we are not alone. That you, you put us into your family. Thank you for how wonderful your family is that we, that we can now be a part of. Thank you, Father. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.